So how many burgers a week do you eat? A week? Well, it depends if I'm doing research or not. <laughs> if I'm doing research uh, and I'm out of out of like my element, I'm in hamburger hamburger America. Um, I'm eating anywhere from 15 to 20, or 30 a week, depending. The New York Times has called him America's hamburger expert. He's authored books on burgers, hosted a travel channel show on burgers, and is currently the burger scholar for the burger show on First We Feast. He also does burger pop-ups all around the world. My guest on the inaugural episode of Hot Takes on a Plate is my friend George Motes. I am Rob Patrone, the host of Hot Takes on a Plate here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Now, each week on Hot Takes on a Plate, you get to eavesdrop on the ultimate food fights as I hang with my culinary world friends and other eating enthusiasts debating each in their area of expertise. And of course, as we've established with George, the area of expertise is burgers. Now, a little bit more about what I plan on doing with this podcast since it is the inaugural episode. Obviously, my background is food. I hosted a food TV show for about nine years. And what I didn't want to do is long-form interviews with chefs and food world people because there's a lot of that already out there, and some of it's very good. And I don't think anyone needs more of the same. What I didn't see really was, or I should say here, audio, is food debate. I didn't really, you know, when you think of sports, it's all hot takes. And that's been so popular for decades. And I wasn't really hearing that in the food world. I also am not hearing a lot of shorter, quicker, easily digestible, fun things in the food sphere. So I don't know. When I talk about food with people, it's a lot of fun. And when I talk with my chef friends and my culinary world friends, journalists, whatnot, just, you know, my friends who aren't even in the food world, we have a lot of fun when we talk about food. And we, and we give our opinions and we go back and forth and we debate. And I just want to bring that to the podcast world. So if you're somebody who likes to BS with family and friends about food. This this is, I think, a podcast you're going to enjoy. And a lot of the guests early on, most of the guests, are people I've known for a while. They're, they're friends. George, somebody I've known now for probably seven or eight years, and he's somebody who knows more about burgers than anyone. That title of America's hamburger expert, it, it's well-earned. And so what I did was I threw some hot takes his way that I have about burgers, and I told him to tell me I'm right or tell me I'm wrong, and why. There's a lot of ways to cook a burger. A lot of ways. Oh, many. The best way to cook a burger is on a flat top. It's not even close. I, I, I You know, a grill, it, yeah, it gives you that nice sort of smoky hint there, but you're not going to get that full sear. You want that sear. You want that contact of the meat on the flat top, that Maillard reaction, that browning, that caramelization, that crust, flat top, best burger cooking method. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. I think you're right. That's actually ding, ding, ding. You're absolutely right. It's. I'll tell you why. You can actually get Maillard reaction from a grill. It's just a different type of Maillard reaction. Also, it's kind of burned in a, while, in a way. The problem with cooking on a grill, people don't realize, is that 
uh, it's actually very difficult to make burger burger like perfection with a grill. You you can almost get the burger right every single time cooking on a flat top. Well, that's the other thing. When you're on a grill, all that that grease, that lovely fat, it's dripping right off. Yeah, it's disappearing. It's, into whereas the on the flat top, it's cooking in it. Well, that's actually where the flavor comes from. Whenever you whenever you um, cook a burger on a flame grill, the fat renders and falls into the fire. The fire then ignites that that fat, mm-hmm. and that flavor ends up going back up and landing on top of the burger to actually flavor it again. So in a way, it's similar, but not the same. If you think about a burger on a flat top, it's really hamburger confit. You're cooking in its own fat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, next topic, we're talking about perfect burgers. Let's talk about size. To me, a burger should never, ever, ever, ever be more than eight ounces. To me, five to six ounces is ideal. I think once you eight ounces, you can do, but I'm going to need a nap afterwards. That's a nap burger. Five to six, you're going to be full, but you're not going to be tipping over. Once you get over eight ounces, like why not just order a steak? Like why do you actually have to grind the meat? And uh, come on, like eight ounces, no more than eight ounces. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. I think the actual what I call the comeback burger is actually a three to four ounce burger. Three, three to four ounce patty on a burger. But I guess what I'm saying is it should never be more than eight ounces. No, no. I mean, there's, there's a, if you're between, I'd say, four to eight ounces, you're in the, the zone that's going to yes. be satisfying. So you agree with yeah, me. I, I, agree, okay, I agree with you there. But at the same time, if you want to go back and eat that burger again, you're not really going to go back every week and get an eight ounce burger. You, you'll definitely go back and get more than one three to four ounce burger every week. Yeah, I mean, that's Shake Shack is what, about four ounces? Right, so it's a three, three and a half ounce burger, I believe. Yeah, patty. Yeah, It's perfect. All right, next one. So now, again, we're talking about perfect burger construction. It's not the type of bun that matters when it comes to a burger as much as the ratio, the size of the bun. I've always hated brioche buns for burgers, but it really has less to do with the actual flavor of brioche than the fact that most brioche buns are these oversized monstrosities where the burger gets lost in the bun. And to me, that's really so it really doesn't matter if, if you were to take a brioche bun and, and construct it for the right size to get that right meat to bun ratio, you'd be fine. It really doesn't matter if you're using a pretzel bun, a potato bun, which is my favorite, but whatever. It's the ratio more than the bread itself. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Ding, ding, ding. You're right again. Yes, I believe it is the ratio, not the <laughs> bun. But the thing about brioche is that it's really just not bread to use for a hamburger. Because French toast. It's fantastic. Well, that's not a hamburger. <laughs> that's French toast. A French toast burger. <laughs> that's French toast. If you want to eat French toast, sure, knock yourself out. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not even the it's not even the flavor with brioche. It's really the, it's the actual constru- the um, the uh, the lack of density. There's no density to brioche. So the, the minute you put this big, you know, this greasy patty onto that onto that bread, it just dis- dissipates. It disappears. It falls apart. And you can't eat a burger without the good delivery system. It's impossible. Bun is the most underrated part of constructing a burger. Totally agree. Hands down. All right. A friend of mine, a friend of mine in Boston once said that the, uh, the bun is really the envelope for the good news that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Next one. A burger using dry aged beef should not have cheese on it. I mean, look, I love cheese on a, on a, on a burger. But to me, if you're going to go all the way and use legitimate funky, delicious, movie theater, buttered, popcorn-scented, dry-aged beef. Keep as keep it as simple as possible. Let me just taste the beef. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Ding, ding, ding. You're right again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's because if you think about 
cheese is a fermented, you know, moldy thing, right? And that's really what dry aged beef is. And if you add, you know, a really good cheese, a good, you know, uh, a funky cheese to a funky burger patty, you're you're overfunking things, basically. Well, what about if it's um, you play devil's advocate? What if it's American cheese? American cheese isn't really a funky thing. It's just sort of Nothing a sodium <laughs> bomb of artificial yeah. deliciousness. Well, not all, not all artificial. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like American cheese a lot, but America, I, there's really no place for American cheese. I think. You know, really on. Eh, it can be. I shouldn't say that. I just had a really good one. Oh, at Red Hook Tavern. Red Hook Tavern actually has a dry aged patty with American cheese, and it's actually really good. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, the combination actually works. But honestly, I, I do agree with you. It doesn't necessarily need it. Now, does a dry aged burger need to be more the pub style burger? Then that's one I feel like it should go more the eight ounce. I, I don't know about a dry aged burger that's four ounces. Well, no, you're absolutely right. So it should be a pub, a larger pub burger. Eight ounces is a good size for that because you want to have it uh, be thicker and steak like. When you bite into that burger, it should actually taste like a steak, not like a like a, a classic thin patty burger. These are, these are two very different things. All right, let's see if we can find some disagreement somewhere here. <laughs> All right, so now one of the great debates when it comes to burgers, it's that Biggie, Tupac, East Coast, West Coast, Shake Shack versus In and Out. Now, I, my my take on this is that it's not a fair debate. It's apples to oranges. Oh, big time! I, they're not like in the same to watermelons. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> look, I think Shake Shake Shack is the better burger. It's not even a debate, but it's not the better value. In and Out is the better value because you could get an In and Out burger with the fries and a drink, which I don't know if you want the fries. That's a whole nother thing, but oh, you, you can get the whole thing for about the price of a of, of a Shake Shack hamburger. So to me. The debate is not a fair debate. It's apples to oranges, Shake Shack, better burger, in and out better value. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Again, ding, ding, ding. You're right again. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Shake Shack is definitely a better value. No, I'm sorry. Say that again. Shake Shack is not a better value at all. It's a great burger, um, but it's not a great value. Uh, in and out is definitely a great value. And it's also a great burger. It's a good burger experience. I don't I like to tell people that, you know, I'm not a hater on in and out, but, you know, there's so many other burgers on the West Coast I want to try before I get to in and out um, the, the trick, though, is just to make sure you're, you're ordering the double-double animal style, and that's all you need there. It's such a – it really is a good value. It's not expensive. For, for a, a cheaper hamburger, you could – you really can't do any better. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, exactly. There's no question about it. If you really are watching your <laughs> – watching your pennies, you're then definitely head over to a high-quality burger at In-N-Out for sure, unquestionably. All right. Now, when it comes to Shake Shack, staying on Shake Shack, most people would say, well, what's your order? They might say, oh, I get a burger, fries, milkshake. That's not the best order at Shake Shack. That is not what you should do. The best order at Shake Shack, get a Shack burger, single patty, and then get a spicy chicken sandwich. Now, I know that sounds <laughs> gluttonous, but when you actually add the calories... It is about the same as getting the burger and the fries or the the burger and the shake is going to be more than those two sandwiches. I'd rather have those two sandwiches with with a cup of water and call it a day. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. OK, well, you're <laughs> right and wrong. I mean, it's true that I first of all, this is coming from a weird place, uh, this question, because I don't like fries to begin with. Any? No. Well, I mean, there's I would say there's probably maybe 10 different places I've been where I like the fries in the world. And for the really? most part, most fries. So wait, you suck. actually don't like French fries. I just, no, I do like fries when they're good, but I think it's, they're usually a tremendous letdown. 
So I usually avoid them. And then what I do is I do exactly what you said. I'll order a burger and another burger or a burger and another sandwich or a burger and a piece of pie as opposed to having burgers. So who fries. has good fries? Whoa. I mean, I have a neighborhood place right here. What's one of the best fries <laughs> in the city? It's a, but it's a French place. The French know how to make fries. Who has good fries? Go ahead. Uh, just give it a shout out. Well, no, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> everyone knows where I live. Um, <laughs> not everyone. Everyone's listening knows where I live. Um, where is it? Good fries. Good question. I, mean, that's, I can't answer that question. It's so difficult. Steak, steak and Shake has great fries. <laughs> okay, I'll give you one. I, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of their burgers. They're not bad. But I, I think they're a little bit overrated, Five Guys. But their fries are great. Fries are fries are good. The Cajun good. fries are fantastic. Good. They're good. That's just seasoning, though. I, mean, I like to be able to actually that fries got to taste good on its own. Got to be fantastic, you know? Wow, it's tough. I know it's weird. I mean, you know, it's hard to find really good fries out there. I, you know what? The problem is they don't travel well. That's the problem. Yes, that Even is, that from, is like, true. The kitchen to your place in the restaurant, they don't travel well. Well, that's why I don't like the um, the, the McDonald's style uh, shoestring fry. It's great at first, but it gets cold Instantly. so fast. Instantly. But but the Five Guys fry actually holds heat pretty well. It's a little bit thicker. It's, it's not a, a it's not a, it's not a steakhouse fry, but it's that's a fry that I can devour and I will. Right. And they also don't freeze. I don't think I mean no, fry, the, <clears throat> whether it's frozen or fresh, I mean to me it's they're sometimes the same fry. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, fries are unfortunately kind of lost on me because I'm not not a big fan. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. All right. This is one of those things that people freak out. Like, how do you not like fries? You love hamburgers. Like, but those are two different things. They are two like, different things. I will say that. But also, I know oh, the history. Of, I know addiction. the history of fries. That's the that's the problem. The history, fries were not supposed to be connected with hamburgers, except for the fact that during the I think depression or the or World War II war effort, um, they had a uh, they had a meat rationing going on in most of these restaurants, and they had to replace their one. If you ordered three or four burgers, they say, "Can I give you some French fried potatoes instead?" And then the French fry hamburger connection was born. Interesting. 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 Okay. Last one I've got for you. Diners are known for hamburgers. You should not, generally speaking, order a hamburger at a diner. There are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, diner hamburgers are not good hamburgers. There's a reason why when you go to a diner, you see the big menu with a gazillion different options. It's great when you're going with your picky aunt or whoever else, and there's something for everyone. But when you see a big menu in general, that is that is a sign that you are not getting the freshest food you could be getting because how do you have fresh food when the menu is that big? It's a lot of frozen stuff. And so many diners are serving you mediocre frozen patties they, they, they are not paying attention to, uh, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the place where they're going to push down really hard on the patty nonstop and squeeze all the, the juices out of it. And I, I don't know, like, I, I don't ever have luck with a burger at a diner. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. So I'll tell you why you're wrong, because you're lumping in thousands and thousands of diners across it's America. It's a generalization. So, okay, the generalization, it's probably true, except for the fact that you just have to ask. You just, I mean, well, a lot of times what will happen is someone You think you're going to get an honest answer? Oh, yeah, definitely. Is it fresh or frozen? Is it fresh or frozen? And you know, I when I've gotten to the point now where I know how to ask someone that question and look at their eyes and see what they're actually they're telling the truth or not, <laughs> or ask somebody else. Honestly, at this point in my career, I actually don't go into restaurants completely cold and eat a burger ever again. I, never, I haven't done that in years because I have... I have some really good people in my life, what I, which I call IBTs. They're called ex, uh, sorry, EBTs, sorry, expert burger tasters. And they're the ones who actually are my advanced researchers. As long as you didn't say IBS. I was Not a little IBS. worried. <laughs> <laughs> no, EBTs, expert burger tasters. IBS is what you get if you get a bad diner burger. That's right. 
Well, so there definitely are bad diner burgers out there for sure. No question about it. But there are a whole lot of diners out there that have great burgers. You just have to know what you're looking for. That's it. And they, they, they exist out there. There's some places that have been making burgers oh, yeah. the same exact way for 100 years. They just happen to also be a diner. And they right. happen to also be using fresh ground beef and they never will stop. But they're the exception to the rule. They're an exception. But I got to tell you, you know, I in New York City, there's actually a bunch of diners in New York City, like classic New York City counter diners. Um, diners with counters that serve a fresh ground beef. Joe Jr., um, Superg. I mean, there's so many of them that are actually like the real diners that are still serving a good old American hamburger. Well, let me ask you this one. There are just too many burger places, right. quite frankly. A, a burger is not something I want to eat multiple times a week, not even usually once a week. I might eat a burger once or twice a month max. And yet you see all these burger chains popping up everywhere in burger, burger, burger. And, and I feel like we've gotten to the point now where it, it's too much burger. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. It's actually never too much burger as far as I'm concerned. But uh, that's, that's just that's a personal opinion. But no, actually, the numbers show that there is plenty of room to move. It's, it may sound strange. It may look strange to you. You're seeing so many places open up. You're seeing places expand very quickly. And, you know, it's just like anything else. It's survival of the fittest. The ones that are doing the burgers the wrong way are making bad burgers, and there's no one coming in the door. They're going to close. But there di definitely, unquestionably, is a growth market. I just did an article for Men's, men's Health talking about – Men's Health, of course, talking about Men's Health and talking about Men's Health as it relates to burgers. And unquestionably, people want to eat more burgers, and there's, the burger uh, category is growing because there actually are great burgers out there. In the old days, you know, bur burger chains made with, you know, questionable beef and frozen beef and questionable practices, those burger places, people would go there because they were hungry, but they were, always felt guilty about it. What we've done actually with the new burger category called the better burger category, we created this, this, uh, this uh, we've removed the guilt in a way. We're making better burgers and people are actually, they're lifting the guilt and they're going and eating tons of burgers now. I can recognize that something is a better product while also knowing I probably shouldn't be having it that often and knowing that there's just, I want variety. And if every place that is opening is a burger place, I'm not getting that. Right. And this is why the, the better burger category is also starting to expand to things like fried chicken sandwiches, which is also not very healthy. Um, and that actually, I'd say, I'd say it's probably <laughs> less healthy than a hamburger for sure. I'd rather eat a hamburger. Um, but this, this, the, the, these places are starting to expand. They're starting to show, you know, larger menus. You know, if I open a place, which I might very soon, it's going to have a very limited menu. It's not going to have an expanded menu at all. <laughs> Burgers, pie, and sodas. That's it. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Uh, do you worry at all when it comes to all these burger places opening that the environmental impact and are, are there enough cows to go around? I mean, it's it, I just wonder where where it stops. Right. Uh, well, that's a, uh, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> I mean, I'm concerned. Of course, I'm concerned. Uh, that's why we need to eat better burgers, obviously. Uh, the answer is not to turn to alternative, these, uh, you know, impossible beyond uh, patties, because they're actually there. I think I figured out once there are there are obviously far more ingredients in an impossible burger than there is in a potato chip, you know, which is pretty easy. There's only two ingredients in a potato chip, three potato oil and, and salt. And you can make the argument that, uh, look, I think a veggie burger that is trying to be vegetables yeah. is going to be obviously going to be healthier than a hamburger. But some of these burgers that are trying to act like meat, yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's a, a lot of artificial yeah. ingredients. It is a science project. Yeah. And it's a lot of, it's, it's a sodium bomb, quite frankly. It and totally is. To get to that flavor point, it's not, it, 
you know, you could interview a hundred nutritionists, which one's healthier. And you'd probably get 50 saying one and 50 saying the other. It's sort of yeah. a, so, and then, you know, there's a lot, look, we could go down a big rabbit oh hole God, with this topic. Time. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, just even the, the big factories making this and the environmental costs there and moving things around. Oh, and yeah. it's not, I just, I guess not to get too off topic, but just, I just wonder when, when the burger craze is going to sort of stop. Cause again, I love a good stop. burger. <laughs> I, I love a good burger. I'm not against yeah. hamburgers. I just, there just seems to be too many of them. I, I agree. There's, it'll there'll be a there'll be some kind of a mid course correction coming. I think relatively soon. But as we can see from the numbers right now, honestly, I've looked on the research and it is a growth market unquestionably. The better burger category is a growth market. And what'll happen is all the big guys, you know, they know who they are. They're going to start to um, start to feel it. Actually, they are starting to feel it now. For the first time last year, their numbers are starting to show that the better burger category, which is a very, I, mean, it's, I think only, I think it's one percent or two percent of the entire market, entire burger market. Is actually starting to affect their bottom line. Well, listen, uh, you have been kind enough, George, to invite me into your home, and you, you're going to be making me a burger, which is probably why we agreed on everything, because I had to <laughs> throw you softballs to get uh, the America's foremost hamburger expert to make me a burger. George, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Make sure to check out George on The Burger Show, First We Feast, and also keep an eye out for that potential burger place okay each episode i also will be giving you a dining tip here on hot takes on a plate something that ties into the theme of the show and i know the theme is burgers and there's plenty of burgers i like out there but i like the fact that we hit on fries and the reason i like the fact that we hit on fries is because my fear with giving dining tips is that I'm New York based and all my dining tips or the vast majority of them are going to be for a New York audience. So when I can sneak in some dining tips that take us outside of New York, I'm going to do it. And when it comes to fries, it's, this is actually almost more of a hot take. It's a hot take dining tip hybrid, if you will. The best fries I've ever had in the world are in Montreal. Yes. Cross the border. Go to Canada and eat fries. It makes sense because Montreal is the home of poutine, you know, that that thing where the, you got the fries and the cheese curds and the gravy. And I'm OK with poutine, but I'm not like a poutine fan. I, I, I but I am a huge French fry fan. And in my travels to Montreal, I've been there, I think, four times now. I started to notice a trend, which is there are no bad French fries in Montreal. I mean, maybe they are, but I have yet to try them. And then we're talking like places like Brasserie Tea, which is it's it's a brasserie, you know, it's it, and and so that's a nice, you know, mid range type place. You get your, you know, steak frites and whatnot. Fantastic fries to a more casual place like Schwartz's. Schwartz's is a legendary place known for their smoked meat, which is like Montreal's answer to pastrami. And. The thing that people don't talk enough about when it comes to Schwartz's are their fries. They're fantastic. Uh, every place you go with the poutine, the fries, they're like it's like I, I don't know if it's that none of them are frozen or what the deal is. Maybe I just got lucky, but I did what any smart person would do when you start to realize you're onto something. I asked the cab driver. So I asked the cab driver when I was in Montreal last, and I said, 
what's up with the fries in this city? Why are the fries so good? And the cab driver, and as we all know, cab drivers are never wrong. He told me the reason the fries are so good in Montreal is because of where they source the potatoes from. You know, here we talk about Idaho being the gold standard. He said, no, 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 no. Prince Edward Island. Potatoes from Prince Edward Island. Now, do with that information what you will, but here's what I'm telling you. If you go to Montreal, get fries. That's my dining tip. Now, before we go, I do want to address a health scare that I had. Uh, We taped the podcast with George on a Thursday, and two days later on a Saturday, I had a heart attack. And it's if you're a fan of mine from TV and you follow me on social media at Rob Patron TV, this is not probably news to you because I, I went public with that. Uh, I'm, I tend to be a private person by nature, uh, and I'm also somebody who does not like to be pitied, so that was not an easy decision to go public with that. But the reason I did was because it was not something I expected, and it taught me a lot of things. And if I could share those things with people and just get a couple of people to listen and make some changes for themselves to prevent themselves from having something similar happen to them, then it would be worth it. So, uh, like I said, we recorded on a Thursday. Uh, two days later on a Saturday, I, I get up in the morning like I do, and I'm playing with my kids and doing normal things on a Saturday morning. And all of a sudden, um, I started feeling this intense jaw pain and neck pain, and it felt like nothing I had ever felt before. And so I did what most of us do these days. I got on the Google machine and I Googled it and it one of the things that came up was heart attack. And then I started feeling kind of a tingling sensation in my arms and my legs and my extremities. And then the chest pain came and I, I knew this was not a, a panic attack. I thought I've had panic attacks before and they do mimic those conditions, but this was different. And I told my wife and Thank goodness we we acted fast and we got to the ER fast and we lived close to an ER and the ER acted fast and they got me um, to another hospital um, and I remember going in the ambulance and I don't remember much after that. Um, you know, I remember thinking about my my wife and my my girls and being scared. Um, it turns out it was a big heart attack. Um, I actually had to be shocked back because my heart stopped beating four different times. Uh, the good news is my heart is in good condition, all things considered. Um, a lot of people after a heart attack, their heart is in worse shape. Um, you know, I've got a stent in my main artery now, and as long as I take medicine. And as long as I regularly see a cardiologist, I should be fine. But the wake-up call was that I knew this was maybe not that big a possibility, but a possibility. Because for me, this wasn't about... A lot of people I've seen kind of jump to conclusions. Oh, well, look what you do for a living. That must have been what caused it. it. It wasn't. I have hereditary issues when it comes to high cholesterol that I've known about my whole life. And... I could eat perfectly and take statins and, you know, exercise and all that. And my cholesterol is still going to be high. My body just makes it. And 
I think a couple years ago, I got kind of lulled into a false sense of security um, by some doctors. And I then did something dumb and lazy, and I stopped taking my meds. And I'm not going to say that that caused it or didn't cause it, because I don't know, but it couldn't have helped. And I also got lazy and stopped going to the cardiologist because I had one conversation with one that led me to believe that this was not something I needed to worry about in the short term. And look, I also could eat better. You know, I don't eat as bad as people may assume because of what they see on TV, but, you know, it could be better. There's a lot of things that could, could have been better. And so... I wanted to share this with people because I want people to have that wake-up call. You know, I'm somebody who gets busy. You know, I like to use busyness as an excuse. Go, go, go. And you need to stop and you need to assess your health. And so if you have any lingering health conditions, anything, things that you know are in your family history that you just put off because you're young and it's not going to be you, please do me a favor Get it checked out and also advocate for yourself. Don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. Super, super important. You are worth it. Other things can wait. And let me tell you, it doesn't just go for physical things, mental health as well. Super, super important. Make time for yourself. Because I'll be honest with you, I I, you know, I'm recording this intro now, uh, about a week out from the heart attack, and I I feel pretty good, but it's been hard mentally. You know, it, it, it's a hard thing to kind of overcome, you know, that you were close to dying. So please take care of yourselves. If there's one takeaway from this, learn your lesson from me. Let me be an example on that front. So anyway, don't want to end this on a on a sad note, but <laughs> I just I had to get that out there because, you know, some things are more important than entertainment. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Rob Patrone, P-E-T-R-O-N-E-T-V. Let me know what you think of the show and share your food hot takes with me because I may just address some in a future episode. And of course, make sure to follow, subscribe, bookmark, whatever you do on your podcast listening service of choice so you don't miss any new episodes. Hot takes on a plate is on them all. And if you can rate us, please do five stars, of course, and tell your friends, share if you like what you just heard. Let's get the word out there. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V. Check them out at B-L-E-A-V.com, the number one podcast network for professionals. If you believe in Hot Takes on a Plate, we'll see you next week. I'm Rob Patron. Till next time, ciao.